Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. I'm Adam Ruffner. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Daniel Cohen. There is news aplenty in the AUDL. Toronto has added two top throwers from Ottawa. There's news out west. But today, we're going to be focusing on the Central Division. The Indianapolis Alley Cats have announced most of their roster. The Madison Radicals are starting to unveil their traditional core of veterans. Eli Artemakis has re-signed with Chicago, and Minnesota continues to re-add most of their playmakers from the last couple of playoff trip windchill teams. But we have a bunch of questions about this division. There's been kind of a talent exodus. Pavel Giannis, after playing mm-hmm. five seasons in Chicago, has gone out west. Uh, the two Minnesota stars, Andrew Roy and Cole Jurek, have gone from the windchill to D.C. this season. It just it feels like a very different framework to work within in this division going into 2023. And I'm just going to jump right into it. Daniel, who's the best team in the Central Division this <laughs> season? And I think also along with that, we've kind of pegged an over-under of eight and a half wins in order to claim the Central Division crown. Who do you think gets there? Who do you think schedule is favorable? What can we expect after, I think, uh, a kind of shakeup to this division that has been one of the more standby, reliable uh, formats the past few years? Yeah, I'm I'm so lost on the Central. Like Eli Artemakis, that signing was just announced yesterday by Chicago. And, you know, right when I think Chicago is going to, like, take this massive dip, you actually look at their cutting core and it, it looks pretty good with Eli Artemakis back in the mix. So I, I think there's probably the fewest questions I have as far as offenses go with Indy. And given how dominant their defense was last season, I kind of trust them as the most well-rounded team, or at least the, the team I have the fewest questions about. They're returning all of their main core guys that have been around forever. They're getting Travis Carpenter back. You know, we'll have to see how healthy he is and if he can play at the start of the season, but I, I think he's been practicing as far as I know. Minnesota obviously lost Cole Jurek, Andrew Roy. It's the Andrew Roy loss that I'm I'm most concerned about because he was such a focal point of their offense and like their offensive identity was just like the the safe uh, possession based offense that Andrew Roy would lead. And if you turn the backfield over to like Josh Klein and Abe Coffin, for example, if they switch Coffin to offense, it. it the explosiveness potential rises a good amount, but also the turnover potential. And I just don't know how that all is going to click, especially early in the season. So I, I want to say Indy is my favorite to win the division right now. I don't think they're getting the eight wins though, or eight and a half wins. I, I would honestly say the winner of the Central this year. Right now, I'm thinking it's a seven win team. I just think there's that much parity that we're going to see between Indy, Madison, Chicago, Minnesota. And maybe that's just me in preseason uh, mode where I'm just like hearing these roster announcements, kind of thinking that Minnesota, Chicago taking a dip, Madison maybe stays even, Indy probably gets a little bit better. It just feels like it it is totally even across the board. So I think these teams are just going to beat up on each other all year. We'll get to Indy's struggles, not for their personnel, but for their schedule later in this segment. But You know, we were kind of talking about before the show, I think one of the things as trite as it kind of comes down to is just going to be roster consistency. Who 
which one of these teams yeah. can get their starting seven the most consistently together and out on the field in rhythm, right? Like, I think we've seen over the years the kind of divisional crown being taken by whichever roster has the most offensive contingency, or uh, I should say togetherness. And I right. think you're right. I think Indy has that potential, but with Chicago having Ross Barker, Jack Shanahan, the addition of Andrew Shogren, who's been so, so good as a wide receiver one out in Detroit. And now Eli Artemakis, maybe one of the most exciting prospects, not only in the division, but a league as a whole. He still has yet mm -hmm. to turn 21. He'll turn 21 <laughs> next month. He's been so, so good when he's been available in spots starting for the union the past two seasons. I, I I'm with you. I, I don't know where to go. I, I guess I like Minnesota because I think as far as offensive and defensive balance, they're probably still the best rated in the division. But we went into last season thinking that too, with some of the losses that the union endured and Chicago went out and proved itself better than they ever have made it to a championship game. It, yep. it feels like they have enough of those pieces back the union do to make another strong push into the postseason in 2023. I just, I, I'm with you. I'm going to take the under on the eight and a half wins. I, I don't know if I can Seems go as well as seven, but I'm I think saying eight, seven. I, I think in seven. Eight, I think eight and four is going to be the central division champion this year and probably even have to break like some sort of head to head tiebreaker with another team who could potentially reach that mark. Right. And you're taking Minnesota, you said? <sighs> I think, Look, I, I want it to happen. I want them to host championship weekend while yeah, they're, I mean, they themselves are in it. We yeah, haven't I, had I, that, I, that treat the past couple years. I like talking myself into offensive Abe Coffin. We haven't had that since 2019 in full formation. He was kind of spot starting with Dallas in 2021. And with their mm -hmm. roster inconsistencies, it didn't feel like we got the, the full deal. And I'm really excited to get back to that era because as we saw in the All-Star game, when you give that guy a green light, he can just motivate an entire offense for an entire game, kind of provide anything necessary. And I think that's exactly what the Winchill are going to need with some of their losses. I mean, I know we talk about Jurek and Roy, but they also lost Rocco Linehan. They've lost a few pieces mm -hmm. here and there throughout their roster. With Paul Krennic making the U24 team, it'll be interesting to see what his availability is going into the midsummer months when some of these matchups are going to be so vital for the wind chill to win. I, I just, again, I, I, you know, I think it's just going to come down to which team can show up with the most consistent starting rotation the most often, you know, I, I really think yeah, the talent is that spread out this year between Indy, Minnesota, Madison, and Chicago. I, I just think they all offer different things. Uh, another thing about Indy, you talked about the return of Travis Carpenter. Another piece that they picked mm -hmm. up recently in signings is the return of Connor Henderson, who is a really nice yeah. utility piece in their lineup, especially in 2019 when the Alley Cats made championship weekend. He's mm -hmm. going to be available again this season. I think he'll fit in really well. I'm really excited for the development of all their young pieces on offense as well. We talk about the stable parts and kind of Levi Jacobs, Rick Gross, and obviously the league's leading goal scorer in Cameron Brock, but Jeremy Keish and Lucas Conieris are two of the most exciting young prospects in the league. Conieris also a U24 member team uh, selection this upcoming summer. Keish has been kind of, I think, a diamond in the rough the past few years between both Indy and Austin. I'm really excited to see if he can continue to push his game. You know, I, I 
anyways, I'm just starting to ramble and get into our point <laughs> of there's just there's, there's too much parody in the central this season. Yeah. Well, let's let's pivot back to Chicago because you mentioned we had the Elara to make signing that cutting core of Artemakis, Barker, Shanahan and newcomer Andrew Shogren like that might be the best cutting core in the entire division, assuming they all start on the O-line. But I guess the question is, like, how much does that matter when you don't have Pavel leading that offense, when you have as many question marks about their backfields as we do heading into the season? Really, I think we're just expecting Sam Kaminsky to be kind of the lone handler that that does play in the backfield this year on the O-line that wasn't playing there or that was playing there last year. So I, yeah, I guess like with this, given this good, solid cutting core, what does their offense look like without Pavel? Is this going to be enough to really overcome the loss of Pavel? I guess is the question. We've talked about a bunch and we'll continue to say it. Pavel is going to be an irreplaceable part of the union in 2023. There, there's going to be a lot of fill in there, but I don't think anything's going to be the full version of the league's all-time leading assistant completion getter. But I think that if the union kind of play up tempo and do what they did at times last year that was so successful, which is kind of attack from their receiving court, attack from mm-hmm. their really balanced kind of hybrid players like Ross Barker, like Jack Shanahan. I'm counting on my fingers a lot today. <laughs> but uh, like, I think they're really good in that mode. I think they yeah. were so effective in that mode because they had Pavel Giannis as their anchor, right? Like you can be really balanced in your upfield attack when the main person that you need to swing it back to at the middle of the field is the greatest to ever do it, right? So I, I think that, Without him there, they're going to have a little bit of a rough road figuring out how to balance their sort of continuation play. But I think when you get the disc in Ross Barker's hands, I mean, he showed last year, he led the team in both Huck completions and Huck completion percentage, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think one player meta had like a slightly higher completion percentage, but he was phenomenal as a continuation thrower last year. Jack Shanahan is really able in that role. Artemakis continues to develop in it. And I'm really interested to see how Shogren fits in. He has been so good at just getting the the disc out once he receives it in that mechanics offense the past few seasons, but he hasn't really had much of an opportunity, I think, to play upscale and within a larger framework of offensive success, right? Like the mechanics have been cellar dwellers in offensive efficiency the last several seasons. And now he's going to be going to one of the best systems in the AUDL. And we kind of saw a sneak peek of it in the AUDL All-Star game this past fall. Shogren can be a beast at times. He is no fun to guard in the open field. And if they find mm-hmm. a way to kind of facilitate his not quite rangy throwing skill set, but his ability to read defenses and run off of his throws, I think he could be a really nice option in continuation sets. I mean, we saw a bunch last year, especially in the red zone, Union loved to run kind of almost fullback dives with some of their uh, backfield players. Pavlianis had a career high in goals. Kaminsky was a fantastic goal scorer. Kyle Rutledge mm-hmm. was amazing, kind of running up line. I'm interested to see if maybe they can slot Barker into one of those roles, if Shogren can step into the, one of those roles, where they're not really asked a whole bunch other than quick read, precise throw, get into the end zone, right? And I, I think that yeah. the Union have a lot of that. And I really think that there's sort of, again, their pedigree the past couple of years, having Barker back. If they get Jeff Weiss again, who was arguably their team MVP last year, he was so, so good. Uh, I, 
Chicago looks really, really good in 2023, at least offensively. Yeah, it's tough because I generally agree with you about their cutting core. And I like the versatility we're getting from Shanahan and Barker kind of being the the primary uh, deep shot takers in that lineup. Like they can just kind of get the disc to that second level and let those guys work downfield. I think I worry maybe a bit more than you do about their red zone efficiency and how much Pavel was driving that. And it was like, like <laughs> Pavel, Paul Arters, Kyle Rutledge, like, and Jeff Weiss too. So like, if they don't have any of those guys, those are all like very central to their red zone offense. If you're just kind of left with like Ross Barker and Kaminsky, I don't know. I just think they, they don't, they're not going to have like a full lineup of red zone guys to really consistently punch the disc in. So I worry a bit about the red zone. I also kind of wonder, I wonder aloud here, if we see a bit more of Barker and Shanahan in the backfield. Like if, if they think that we got to put our best thrower, we got to get the disc in our hands of, of our best throwers more often than not. It is those guys that are most comfortable with the disc in their hands. So if maybe we see like some kind of switch up where we see a little bit, you know, more more touches being funneled to their best throwers. I think I could see a, a solution where if you get like one other consistent handler in the backfield that maybe is that guy that is taking deep shots, that can be an overall plus if you can replace the cutting core with like some other fill-in downfield option that maybe you're not necessarily getting the same continuation ability from, but you're just getting a guy that is reliable downfield. So we haven't seen the full Chicago roster yet, but I I have heard they might be announcing it this week. So we'll have to stay tuned to what exactly it looks like. Their signing day is upcoming, and you talk about Phil Cutters. I was really impressed with Nick Papa. So the team has re-signed for 2023. He provided that. In the back end of the season, a championship weekend, he had a really good hustle and speed and ability to just kind of pressure defenses when they forgot about him. I thought he did a really good job of in that kind of maybe seventh man on the field role where you're you mm-hmm. don't have a whole bunch of expectations, but still if you're if you're any kind of plus, you really just add to the, I think volatility of any kind of offense you're on so I I was I like him in that role and I'm excited to see what he's got to offer in season two yeah yeah I think guys like him uh Micah Glass had a good amount of playing time late last Mm -hmm. season like they I think they have enough up and coming guys where they should be able to slot someone in but like you said before just the consistency of that offensive rotation and just how they're able to build chemistry with each other that is going to be the most telling especially early in the season for this team and they're going to have to work on a lot of offensive chemistry. I mean, I I, I yeah. have trust, but like you say, there's still just so many questions when you have that kind of absence of Giannis. We haven't seen a transfer like this really ever in AUDL history. I mean, we talk about, you know, Jack Williams maybe going from Carolina to New York in 2019. That was obviously huge. Uh, Bo Kittredge going from San, then San Jose to Dallas in 2016. That was an MVP and a champion transferring teams. Like, that was huge. But they're kind of upfield playmakers, or at least Jack was when he joined New York in 2019. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we've ever seen somebody who kind of built the franchise move. And, And again, Chicago has the pieces to supplement a replacement, but who is going to be that thrower who kind of really takes on an elevated volume role and a a much larger workload, right? You're talking yeah, about 730 completions going away. 
Right. Yeah, and like you said, that so much of that continuation game I feel like was successful because they knew they they like had this contingency plan in their backfield at all times. So like if they really have to lean into the continuation game, like I just don't I think that's something that's easier for defenses to really key in on if they don't have to worry about the backfield guys as much. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to expect with Chicago this year. Well, for as much as Chicago has to adapt, let's switch gears over to one of their oldest and border state rivals, the Madison Radicals, who are going to be running back a very similar roster that they've had the past two seasons. They've announced Kevin Pettit-Scantling's re-signing, Victor Luo, the return of Brian Hart, who hasn't played with the team since 2017, but was super integral throughout all their championship weekend appearances. Uh, They've brought back Jack Kelly and uh, Joshua Wilson, I believe, so far are the players that they've announced. But having taken a look at their more extended roster and not being able to reveal it yet, it is going to be Radicals 3.0 of kind of what they've been doing the past few seasons since the pandemic delayed 2020 season. And my question to you is, what is the roadmap back to the playoffs for a team that hasn't made the postseason since 2018 when... This is sort of the same roster. This is sort of similar expectations, similar system. I know they've struggled with health over the past couple of seasons with Kevin Brown and Kai Marcus the past two seasons, suffering early seasons, substantial injuries that were kind of uh, formative pieces to the Madison Radicals O-line. But with not much new talent coming in, at least that we know of yet, like what do the radicals need to do to sort of get over the hump finally? Like it feels like Chicago, Indy and Minnesota have finally kind of unseated the radicals formally from their once long held throne atop this division. And there's, there's the sense that the radicals can still get back there, but it's starting to become a a number of years since that's happened. (laughs) It has. No, I mean, they've definitely kind of become the underdogs in this now perennial playoff race that we're seeing between these four teams every single year. I think Madison, I mean, would it shock you to say that that I would point to their biggest issue as, as their offense? Uh, they've been around like 50% conversion rate each of the past two seasons. That's just not good enough. In today's AUDL, we're seeing teams get 60%, above 60%. I think Minnesota and Chicago were both above 60% conversion on offense last year. So offense just remains the biggest question for Madison. I have, I've heard rumors. They're going to switch things up on their offensive line a little bit this year. They said that last year. They said that last year. They did. They did. Well, and to be fair, to be fair, they had Kai Marcus for what, two games last year, three games, Uh, unfortunately towards ACL, but I think they're expecting him back at some point this season, hopefully on the earlier side. So I, you know, he's the type of guy that can transform an offense with his throws and so if we see like enough of a, a change in their offense where maybe they have like a go-to downfield receiver now and a go-to quarterback, they've kind of just been like up in the air. Like you don't really know what to expect from their offense. They haven't had much of an identity over the past few years, but I just think if they, if they find a rhythm, especially in their early schedule, like as the sooner they can click, the better and the more they can just build on that throughout the season but, you know, that just remains the the perennial question for me. Can the Radicals offense basically get back to where they were in 2018, where it still was kind of like this, 
uh, kind of even keeled approach where they didn't have like any pure stars taking over. I mean, you had a handful of amazing games wow. from Peter Graffy and Pat Shrywise, of course. Um, but you know, in general, I don't. I feel like they never have like a forty-plus goal scorer or like a forty-plus assist thrower any given year. So you know, they they take a pretty distributive approach. They just haven't had the depth or the consistency. They've battled a lot of injuries the past couple of seasons and really have had to mess with these rotations kind of against their will, just out of necessity. So like staying healthy is going to be a big thing. Like you said, I mean, the the roster consistency we see from all these teams is going to be huge. And I think especially for Madison's O-line, like they just got to, they got to lock something in and, and stick with it because it just hasn't been working the past few years. So speaking to your adjustments of rotations, the past couple of seasons, they've poached some of their biggest defensive stars in Sterling Kanaki and Kevin Pettit-Scantling and put them into more offensive central playmaking roles. Do you mm-hmm. like that shift still? Do you think that that's working? Or do you think that this team needs to get back to kind of intimidation style defense where their top three defenders are just going to be lights out for the night if you throw into, you know, Sterling Island, as it used to be known, it's not going to be a fun time. KPS had what, like four straight seasons with 24 plus blocks or something. Mm -hmm. It feels like with their switch over to offense, while it has been necessary in spot start situations, it's taken away a little bit of the teeth from the defense. And that has also put more pressure on the offense to succeed when it, like you say, doesn't quite have the depth to take on this distributive approach I'm starting to ramble, but I guess I'm just wondering, do you agree with the sort of star shift from defense to offense in order to kind of kickstart some sort of energy? Or do you think this team needs to get back to sort of its roots and start to make everything hard for posing offenses in the central division? Yeah, I mean, right. I don't know if it's if it's like other teams maybe slowly figuring out the Madison defense as the years have gone on, but they actually did finish with like... They finished with like one of their worst defensive years in their history this past season. I think a lot of that was because of the ever-changing pieces and switching KPS and Sterling over to the O-line, which I didn't mind. It wasn't like they were bad on the O-line. I feel no, like no, KPS no, had no, a few no, no. super yeah. efficient games. Yeah, but good. I but I kind of I kind of agree with where I think your your thinking was going, where it is kind of like, you know, you had something that this team was known for and that they would do super well like throughout their franchise history they were like the defensive team in the entire league and you know while they've had these these kind of questions on offense every single year it was always like a given that their defense was going to do enough to keep them in games and I think we saw that generally last year but maybe just a few games that kind of got away from them uh there was that one weird blowout game in Minnesota yeah they give up that buzzer beater to Cam Brock and it essentially gives the playoff spot to the Alley Cats. That was the defense giving up a, uh, a goal with under, I think, three seconds to play when the that was started. Yeah, that was like actively you know, bad it, defense when you needed them to be good, well, uh, which, you know, was of, kind of unheard of in previous years, right? That's kind of been the cosmic inversion since 2021 with this franchise, right? Like they used to win all of those yeah. point scenarios, all of the situational ultimate, the end of quarter, the the sort of things you coach and practice again and again and again. And that mantra, right. I think is still there. I think that 
that strategy is still very much a part of how the radicals approach games, but suddenly their opponents are sort of flipping the script and getting these end of quarter buzzer beaters or, you know, sort of exposing them when they don't have their full starting rotation or something like that used to be how Madison beat teams in this Mm -hmm. division. And now it's sort of being inflicted upon them. There's a certain kind of irony right now with how the radicals have had to rebuild themselves on the fly. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're right. I think their defense too, like we've talked about, how, how their offense peaked in 2018, and then they kind of gradually lost kind of their O-line staples. But the D-line has also had to rebuild a good amount. Like, it's been kind of filled with these younger guys, rookies, sophomores. And I think this is, like, a pretty particular style of defense that Coach Tim DeBile coaches between their zone and their even their person defense and just the way they they can switch kind of on the fly and are kind of in charge of different areas of the field. Uh, you know, I, I think it might be maybe a more complex defense for some of these younger guys to learn rather than just like straight matchup based. So maybe we're seeing some of that, too, where it was just like these these veterans that used to be the, the defining parts of the Madison Radicals. They've aged out. They've left the team. So you're kind of left with like kind of like needing to, to wrangle all of these rookies into putting together and recreating this system that they once had. So, you know, I, I point to the offense as, as the primary thing they need to focus on. But I think defensive chemistry in the case of Madison is definitely as important as the offensive. I mentioned Brian Hart a couple moments ago. I'm, I'm really excited to see him come back. He's one of those players, I think, if he's playing, he's going to be in kind of starting shape. I know it's been six years now since he cleated up for the Radicals, but he used to be one of those people who you could kind of set your watch to as for, as far as the kind of performances to expect. The bigger the game got, the bigger his output got. Like I, I think that having a little bit more of just a presence of what this team used to be could be a really good uh, touchstone for how young Madison has become over the past three years. You know, I think having him back there, I, I'm not sure whether he's going to be in an offensive or defensive role. But if he can kind of lend some stability to that counterattack that the Radicals have that was sort mm-hmm. of lacking last year, I think they had their opportunities, but they did not have a consistent D-line uh, counter strategy. I think having Hart there would help. I think having a full season of his college teammate, college or excuse me, Thomas Coolidge, will help a bunch. I think KPS may be slotting a little bit more into a defensive role and being a little bit more of a situational plug and play person for mm-hmm. offense, you know, off of a turn coming out of a timeout end of quarter scenarios. I definitely see that, but I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I favor as much as I agree with you, the offense has struggled. I think you got to put players where your power is. And for Madison, that's always been defense. And I think especially with yeah. kind of the, the sort of evening of the waters elsewhere in the division, it, it really bears out to maybe try that formula once again, see if you can be so the, the defensive powerhouse in the division, given that I think that that mantle is sort of unsettled this year. I think Minnesota probably has the best defense on paper going into 2023, but you know, it, it they're not as deep as last year. And I think that that might affect them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of teams might just like, show us their new identities kind of early in the season mm-hmm. in particular, which will bring us to, to our last question. Let's talk about Indy's 
schedule. And I, I really want to focus on the start of their schedule. They start the season going to Atlanta to play the hustle. Then they host Minnesota in Indy. Then they go to Chicago and then they host Madison. And so like those four games, I mean, to be that's, fair, like that's their season. Yeah, it, it could it could very well really like impact the rest of their season, how how that trajectory gets started at the start. And I, I feel like their season, I mean, they have eight games against Minnesota, Madison, Chicago and Atlanta. Those are like eight losable games, we can call them. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can Indy survive this schedule? How many of those eight games do you see them winning? How many do you think they have to win to climb to the top of the Central Division? I think along with your prognostication about seven wins, according to that, they need to win three of these eight, right? Because their other four games are against Detroit and Pittsburgh, who Indy yes. has held serve very well against the past several seasons. They just mm-hmm. match up well against the mechanics and the Thunderbirds extremely well. So I kind of take them to be 4-0 in those games. So they need you know, three to four wins to get to against that gauntlet of eight in order to get to a total of seven or eight overall wins. Uh, yeah. That, that feels like a tough task right now. Like, I think, again, it's going to be a huge barometer in those opening four games as to where Indy stacks up and where these other teams stack up against the Alley Cats. We talk about the Alley Cats having some of the most roster consistency of any of the teams heading into 2023. Will that bear out as far as success, though? especially early in the year. I think early in the year, you can still hold to that hype. If you're a team that's young, you can just sort of lean into your energy. And that might be trouble for an Alley Cats team that I think is looking to sort of stabilize and have a bit more identity after they've been developing the past two seasons, you know? So I I don't know. It's tough, man. That week one matchup against the Hustle is so, so, so brutal. The Hustle have something to prove after missing the playoffs last season. I think Atlanta's going to be extremely talented. I think they're going to be fast. I know Indy matched up well last year against the Hustle, but I think that with uh, a game underneath their feet and on the road once again, the Hustle are just going to be tough. Like... I don't know. What do you what do you think that Indy's record is after the first four games? Do you expect them to break 500? Do you think they can win two of those? I think they kind of have to win two. I think they need to stay kind of right yeah. above water level with at least a 500 record. If they drop three of those first four, that's just it. It it's too much. And they're gonna have four and... more games against Minnesota, Madison, and Chicago. Like, yeah, I mean, after those first four. Then it's going to essentially be must win in each of those next four matchups against their potential playoff contenders. Right. I mean, after those first four games, they play two of their next three against Detroit, and then they close out the season with two games against Pittsburgh. So it's like, you know, you have, you kind of have two late wins to, to count on, even if the record isn't what you thought it would be early on. I think I'd agree with you that they have to win two of those first four games. I, I, the ones I would point to as probably the most winnable for them would be it's the problem is like when you look at their home field and the fact that they play indoors, it doesn't even seem like a home field advantage anymore. Right. Cause like, you know, you know, the other team is just going to play super well indoors too. So like, I want to say that I'd favor them to beat Minnesota in Indy, but like it's a tough, I would think I would definitely favor them to beat Madison in Indy. And then between Indy going to Chicago 
and hosting Minnesota, I think they can win one of those games. Like we we just really yeah, don't have a good trap game because you talk about indoors elevating a team's offensive successes. Who needs that more than the Radicals, right? And Kai Marcus, yeah, bombing it in his matchup last year in Indy. The Radicals won that game early in the season. I, you know, he I was kind of to your point. I I think that 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 equalizes some of maybe the overall talent gap that the alley cats would otherwise enjoy. Right. Yeah. But it's still like, like Carpenter, Keegan North, Rick Gross, Levi Jacobs, Cam Brock, like those five guys playing in India indoors. It's like, yeah, there's, it's hard to see that being a losing recipe. Um, But yeah, it's kind of annoying that, that I feel like the indoors is, is very much an equalizer with those maybe slightly inferior offensive teams. So, yeah, I mean, I I think I would circle that, you know, one of those indoor wins, and then if they can pull off the upset, maybe, I don't even know if it'd be considered an upset, on the road in Chicago. It's just so, I like, Chicago might be the biggest mystery to me in that I think they have, like, the widest range of outcomes. And it's just like, (laughs) it's like how how big of a deal was Pavel to their system, which sounds like a silly question, because obviously the answer is huge but you know it's those like supplementary losses that they are also expected to suffer this year that really raise the questions of just their overall efficiency as a team but you know it's hard to like they're so they've been so like proven and consistent over the past two seasons and like we mentioned before even with the losses after 2021 they came back arguably stronger in 2022 with some slight changes to their offense so yeah, I I have no idea, man. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Indy goes one and three to start the season, but I I do feel like two and two is is going to be pretty essential to a late playoff run. Yeah, I mean, kind of to what you were saying, Chicago has built itself on this identity of proving the haters. I mean, you and I, I think right. we're right in their bullseye target on the dartboard. Oh yeah, here, so. they love proving <laughs> us wrong in particular. <laughs> We'll see if we can maybe motivate some other teams in the Central similarly, (laughs) but that'll do it for this episode of Swing Pass. We'll be back next Wednesday as the offseason continues to roll on. More and more roster information continues to come out as teams finalize their personnel for the upcoming 2023 season, which will begin on April 28th. You can tune in for all the action live on watch.audl.tv. We'll be signing off for now, but we'll see you soon. Bye.